the record, I hate all of y'all. I be trying to be in serious mode and I can't even be serious. I can't be on serious mode with these people on this podcast. But welcome everybody <laughs> to yet another Homegirls podcast episode. Koya had uh, dubbed this uh, <laughs> drug and project abuse or whatever. <laughs> but the true, <laughs> the true topic of this episode, and it really is a serious episode, um, drug addiction and incarceration the effects on the black family. Okay. So once again, you know, I have a couple stats. Okay. I'm here, you know, I like a good stat, you know, I mean, let's talk about some truth. If we're going to talk about real conversations, we got to talk about truth. Right. Um, so based on the U S Bureau of the census, African-Americans are actually, well, the gap between African-Americans and non-black people being incarcerated is actually closing. Um, it used to be, I know, right? At the end of 2019, in federal and state prisons uh, in the U.S., there were 475,900 inmates that were Black and 436,500 that were non-Black. Really, I mean, it's like a difference of like 39,000. And like before, I want to say like 10 years or so before this stat came out, the, there was like a 70,000 person gap. I mean, as far as like the number of people that were incarcerated. So, I mean, I guess that's good. I mean, I hate that the people are in jail, but I mean, I guess it is good that it's, there's not so much of a racial, you know, a racial uh, disparity, I guess, you know, with the whole thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess that's good, right? Well, it actually is a racial disparity. Cause, well, um, yeah. okay. Go, ahead. go, go, go. No, I was just gonna, you know, kind of go into the whole, um, what's that Netflix documentary, 13th? That came out that Ava DuVernay came out with. Have y'all seen it? But What's it's it basically called? Uh, it's called Thirteenth. Oh okay. yeah, it's called. You gotta if you haven't seen it, it's a must watch. Your children need to see it. Like it's really it just kind of goes back into how slavery, how they turned slavery into how it like goes into the justice system now. So basically, modern day slavery. But uh, one of the facts from that was like one in 17 African-American males will go to prison, whereas one in three white males. No, no, let me flip it. One in three African-American males will go to prison versus one in 17. Uh, not yeah that was the that was the thing i was gonna state after that because i mean it made it seem it was funny because that yeah like that was like in the beginning of the article and then after that it addressed the incarceration rate of african-americans versus non-black people and yeah the incarceration rate of blacks per 100,000 residents is 592 for every 100,000 and in non-black it's 187 for every 100,000. So yeah, they made sure to make it seem like the gap was closing, but when you look at the rate, I mean it doesn't really tell the same story. Yeah, cuz like back in the day they would give them charges for like dumb stuff and they would get them like 100 years or 80 something years and they're still in jail now. So it's like yeah, y'all might not send as many to prison now. But there's still a lot of black males behind bars where if they got their cases retried, they wouldn't even be in there. They, they're in jail for some crazy stuff from back in the early 1900s and, you know, like yeah. the 1960s. They're still in jail. Yeah. Like, you know, because jail preserves them. And it's really, really sad. Like, I've been to Angola and, and you know, like I've met with a lot of prisoners up there. And it's just so sad when you hear their stories or why they're there. Like mm-hmm. stuff that happened when they were teenagers. And there, it's like the reason is so stupid, but it's like the system. They're just caught up in the system. And some of them, they they don't have, like they've been in jail for so long, they don't have family or anybody to reach out to to help you. They don't know where to go, you know? And it's just really sad. It's a lot of men, black males in jail for no reason. No, I completely agree, Erica. And it kind of, what you say kind of links um, the other, you know, part of this uh, topic discussion, you know, drug addiction in African-Americans. You know, there's a disparity as far as the number of African-Americans or percentage of African-Americans that actually abuse drugs um, versus those that are jailed for uh, like drug charges and stuff. Um, right. Like based on, let me see, I can't remember. Y'all know, I, you know, I like to quote my my sources and stuff, but I can't figure out where I got this from. Um, oh, That was from the U.S. Bureau of the Census as well. Um, African-Americans actually make up, let's see, 12.5% of drug abusers. 
mm-hmm. um, but make up 33% of uh, drug charge or, you know, people in prison for drug charges. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Which is insane. I mean, it's like Nixon. It's with that Nixon era. He started the whole war on drugs um, issue. And then when you, you know, move forward into, I want to say maybe it was Reagan or somebody in the 80s when it was the crack versus cocaine epidemic. So many, they, they made the crack charges way, you know, more like of an issue than people that, uh, you know, had cocaine charges where we all know crack is, was a black, was deemed like it was a black drug. And it right. was a cheap form of cocaine. So how come if this derivative of cocaine or something that's cheaper is, it's pretty much the same thing. It's just a matter of how it's cooked, I believe. I don't know much about crack nor cocaine. However, (laughs) I I look at them all the same. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, why are these people that are with these cocaine charges not being charged with the same, on the same level as the people with the the crack charges? It was all basically because it's a black drug. Such marijuana. So, yeah. And then, like, heroin, apparently, you know, that's something that's, like, used in the Black community, too. But heroin people, I mean, heroin people, people that use heroin are more likely to be charged, or African-American, but then, but look at the focus on the opioid crisis. Right. You know, Black people aren't given a whole, you know, crisis. A sad like, story. You know, yeah. It's not a sad yeah. story around that, but when you have the meth addicts and these cocaine people that, you know, they, they can go, they can be a cocaine addicts and hold jobs because cocaine is out of their system in three days, yet we get tested for marijuana that stays in our system. Black people smoke weed. It is what it is. Everybody smoke weed. If everybody smoke weed. I was about to say, everybody be high at this. Yeah. But, you know, at the end of the day, they know that cocaine is a wealthier drug it's a drug that wealthy people use so we're not going to make we're not going to make that one as big of a deal as we're going to make the, the the weed chart you know that's so interesting that you say that Shadi, because i worked for a very large healthcare organization here and i never forget like two of the very well-known doctors at that institute were known to be functioning coke addicts and apparently it was something that people knew within the organization nobody had a problem with it because their their OR rates were phenomenal, you know, and they didn't make mistakes and they worked better on Coke. And also with regard to the opioid crisis, my fiance works at the same health credit organization. He was at a leadership conference where they talked about the opioid crisis in such like a compassionate way. They were like, look at the people who are dealing with this. It's people in your family who look like you. And he was like, they don't look like me because I'm I'm black. He was like, you know, I don't know a lot of black people addicted to narcotics like that. He was like, I do have some other people who don't look like me that I'm cool with who I know will pay top dollar for a half if you have it. You know, he's like, that's crazy to me. He was like, because, you know, they want you to be empathetic. They want you to be sympathetic. But then, oh my God, did you see that he got caught with like, you know, two pounds of weed with the intent to distribute. He was going to distribute to his friends. Okay, it was a roll-up. right, and probably go and put it in his house. Exactly, that goes quick. I'm just saying. Not, no, I don't. Do, I don't smoke weed now, but no, I know no. it, yeah, that would go quick. I mean, you know. But, but, but no, that, I mean that's funny that you say it because I mean my job. There's a whole opioid stewardship program that is geared towards contacting wow. prescribers, making sure we resolve all red flags before we fill certain opioid prescriptions. You know, we want to make sure, and these are all valid things. Like, I feel like these, this is something that we should be doing. Yeah, anyway, you know, to just, you know, to preserve the health of, you know, our patients, whatever. But I know I don't see no weed stewardship program nowhere. I mean, you know what I'm saying? And I'm, exactly. I'm, I'm just making the comparison. You know what I'm saying? Like, Narcotic pills are not generally a black person drug choice. Let's just be honest. People don't really commit crimes when they're um, high on weed. They eat. They're chilling. They eat. They mellow. They eat. They enjoy. They sleepy. And they're tired. They feel good. They feel Mm -hmm. angry and in a rage and having manic. Okay, Irie is a feeling. In case y'all didn't know, they feel Irie. Okay, Irie man. Okay, we feel good. No, we're not going out. We're not shooting anyone. We're inside. We're listening to music. We're vibing, and that's about it. But people on opioids, think about it. 
they're getting opioids off the street, laced with fentanyl, giving it to their friends. Next thing you know, parents are trying to figure out how their teenage you know, child and their best friend are dead from coming from a party overnight. Oh, we found that they had taken, you know, two cracker sets that were laced with fentanyl. Okay, well, why are you looking for this anyway? You know, so, but, and then there's a sympathy like, oh, all they had to do was come talk to us. What about the black kids who are just trying to smoke a doobie, excuse me, and just chill, and then they in jail for possession? You know what I mean? So, yeah, it's, it's a flawed system as a whole. I mean, we could go on and on about this, like, for 10 more episodes, but sticking to the premise here, but it's just, it's just frustrating because, you know, as people of color and black people, and we see that now today, what's going on with everything. I mean, whatever we do is heightened to the 100%. So definitely. And I mean, just going into that, I mean, have any of y'all been like personally affected, you know, with like drug abuse, with incarceration, with any of that? I mean, look, I'm gonna just be completely honest. I used to be high, okay? <laughs> I'm going to be completely honest. Like, back in college, the group. I'm just, I'm sorry. I mean, I'm, I don't smoke anymore, guys. I, this is Alex. I'm just letting you guys it's know. Changed, yeah. guys. I don't it's smoke changed. anymore. I really, and I haven't for some time now. But I used to be high all the time. Sorry, mom. Time. Sorry, dad. But that was my way of, you Cold. know... Co- not even coping like that was just my way of shutting off from the world like you know I just wanted to I like, to, be out. I like I to vibe it. out I I like to be high I would go eat a bunch of food I'm going to laugh at something and then I'm going to bed that's it I need to do that like all the time and you know what funny <laughs> I never would have I didn't even know that I think so many of my friends shielded that they smoked we back in the day in college because I was such a like. I was approved. Sorry, I was approved. 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 She was approved. I was like, oh my god, you're druggies. You druggies. You're a druggie. So, I remember I had a house party and I kicked somebody out of my house party because they, they were smoking on my balcony. I'm like, you're a druggie. Get out of here. Scram. <laughs> <laughs> after a horrible breakup one year, I was 25, and you know, I just. Somebody, you know, peer pressured me and just said, just do this. It's going to make you feel good. And it actually did. Um, I also don't smoke anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, um, yeah, everybody hear that? Sade doesn't smoke anymore. But um, <laughs> You hear that, feds? No smoking here, feds. <laughs> <laughs> right. But to go on, to to touch on what you said, I, I've, I've, I've experienced both. Um not someone personally that has um, dealt with uh, someone who did drugs or anything. However, because I have sickle cell, I have been deemed, I remember having having to go to to the emergency room, having a sickle cell crisis. And because I was black and I was young and I knew what medications my doctor had me on, I think I was out of town or something. They, they, they thought I was a drug addict because I knew what to go in. I knew my milligrams and I knew, what to ask for and I had never been treated so horribly in my life and I knew it was only because I was black so that's my experience with that and then y'all know and most most of some other people know about this about me when my father is incarcerated um so and he has been for the last 22 going on 23 years now but his his issue with uh or his 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 uh whole his charges and all that are not drug related so they are not you know, that's really kind of off subject, but I have seen and heard about other people in there. It just because I talked to him and have talked to him and have heard of his experiences in the drug in, uh, in, in jail. And it's crazy because the jail that he's in, there's something called K-12, K-2. It's some kind of like, uh, some kind of drug that the police, the police or the correctional officers are infiltrating in the prisons that are, Pretty much these people, are, it's like a synthetic drug or something. And they start foaming at the mouth and doing crazy stuff. And they end up dying or being violent and killing each other. So these prisons are being locked down. But how are they getting them in there? These police are the ones that are bringing them in and all of that. So, you know, I just, I hear things that my dad tells me. But like I said, his, his, uh, his case isn't drug related. So I really, I can't relate in that that in that sense, but I can relate into just having a family member that's incarcerated. Yeah, I mean, I have um, I have family members that you know were incarcerated, 
Um, I had a cousin that, you know, did a, a bid, but, um, I mean, we, we took care of him while he was there and, you know, his charges wasn't drug related. He wasn't in, he, it wasn't a murder related, a rapist or nothing, nothing crazy like that. Okay. Um, but we, you know, when he came home, we took care of him. He actually came and lived with us when, um, lived at my mom's house. When he came home, my mom got him a job and, he actually still has that job right now that moved up into management and, you know, all of that. So I'm proud of him and he living his best life. Okay. Um, and I also live, had an uncle that was, um, a, a drug addict who also lives with us. My mama, look, if you, if you on bad times, honey, go live with my mama. She, she take anybody. Okay. <laughs> Everybody live there. Okay. So, Let me find out uh, Grandma Choi is doing the rehab on the people better than the kids. Uh, this lady. <laughs> so I had a, a uncle that lived with us who was, you know, addicted to drugs. And hands down, it's like one of my favorite uncles. So it was so hard to see him because I would come home from, like, school and um, see him, like, being controlled by the drugs, like, you know, ducking off. I don't know if y'all know what that term is, but I would like, he would be on the sofa, like ducking off and, you know, going through all of these different phases. And I knew when he was withdrawing cause his, he'll, um, have an upset stomach or, you know, have, um, diarrhea or be throwing up and stuff like that. So it was like, I seen that kind of firsthand and it kind of, it put my mind at like, Oh my God, like what is wrong with him? But he was also like, he never like stole nothing from me. Like, you know how they have those habits where they still to like get what they want to go buy the drugs. Like I never had, you know, no issue with him with that. I remember when I started college, I was telling him that I was like, Lord, I need a computer. And y'all, I know y'all remember that PJs that was on magazine street where we all used to study at. Oh yeah. Where we all lived. Yeah. Yeah. Where we all live. Girl, one day I was up in there and girl, he comes up in there. He's so loud and he like swings the PJs to open because he know where I'm at. He know where I'm studying. He swings the PJs to open. He like, cool. And girl, I look up and all the people in PJs know us because we there all the time. So I look up, I'm like, what are you doing here? Y'all, he came and slammed this Toshiba computer down <laughs> in the box was like, you needed a computer to for your school? Here go your computer. So girl, I'm looking at him or whatever. So I'm like, okay, thank you. I'm like, can you like go home now or whatever? Because like, he was like making the scene. Like he didn't really care because he just was so excited that he got this computer for me or whatever. So like and I'm just sitting there like, you know, sir, like, right. So look, when he left, I called my mom. I'm like, Ma, you know he came here and bust through the PJs, though, scream my name so loud, slam the whole computer on the table, everybody in the coffee shop looking at us. She said, where well, your computer? I said, girl, it's plugged up. I'm waiting to charge you right now, baby. I'm using this computer. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> look, you know, so he always looked out for me. Like, even when I was like a, you know, a little girl, always, you know, looked out for me, was always one of my favorite uncles. So it was just hard to see, like, and all, don't, when he was younger, like, he was the man. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, he was popping. Shout out to my uncle. Like, he, he was, he was popping. You know what I'm saying? Shout out to my uncle and my cousin who I'm talking about on this thing. I don't want to put y'all out there because I know how y'all feel about that, but y'all know who I'm talking about. But I'm like, but he was the man back then, okay? All the women wanted him. He was just badlies, all every pair of badlies, every polo jacket, every every medallion, like ring thing, uh the little ring finger rings and all that. Like he he was the man. But it so to see him go from that to where he was with the drug addiction, it kind of like tore me apart because yeah. I couldn't help him. You know, he knew I was in nursing school and I was trying to help him, but I couldn't. Like, I just, there was nothing that I can do to help him. And when I would see him sick, that would just, like, tell me apart. Like, it was some days that I didn't want to go home because I knew around the times that he would uh -huh. be sick. I knew around the times where he wouldn't have the money to go get the drugs. And sometimes he would ask for money for food and I knew what he was doing. And at the time, I wasn't thinking that I was being an enabler. He said, I mean, he hungry, he needs something to eat. I'm giving him the money, but... In retrospect, I'm like, I know he probably was going to get, like, his fix. You know what I'm saying? So it was, like, it's hard to to see him, you know, do, you know, through that transition. And, you know, I've seen him a couple of times. You know, he he don't live down here, you know, now. But when he does come home, he's still, like, this, my, I still, he, like, he's still my favorite uncle. You know what I'm saying? So it's, like, the love is still there. 
but it's just you have to deal with people like that differently and no matter what you if you want them to change or you want them to stop they not don't gonna do it for you they gotta do it when they're ready mm. so with the people that's around them it's not just a person that's like on the drugs that's affected it's everybody that is around that person that is affected like every single person you know that's affected because you have to see them go through this and it's horrible like it's horrible <laughs> yeah no that's sad my, yes. I'm sorry, Shade is over here stepping up face. I can't even stop watching it. But, <laughs> but that's why I was going to ask, uh, Cole, like, you know, if you felt like your relationship with that person changed because of the mm-hmm. drugs. Or because, yeah. Because no. it's a sickness. I mean, drug yeah. abuse to me is sad. Like, yeah. you know, I mean, I, I clown about me being high. I did used to be high, like, all the time. Like, not lying. I used to be high. But fortunately, I wasn't, like, addicted to weed, like, well, you yeah. know what? No, I'm lying. I'm lying, actually. I did have to make a promise to God to stop smoking weed. Now that I think about it, I did. I mean, but thank goodness I was addicted to, like, weed and not, like, you know, Coke or nothing like that. I but know you know that. what? I'm, I'm going to be fully honest with y'all. Like I said, I used to smoke all the time. Mind you, I was actually high during my pregnancy, my first pregnancy, because I didn't know. You know, that's why... Let me say, y'all, this is why Brayden was such a... I, he was such an eye-opener to me and he brought me so much closer to God because it was all kind of things going on while I was pregnant with Brayden that could have really made him turn out really, really bad. And weed was one of them. Because like I said, I used to be high all the time. Um, <laughs> she didn't know you were pregnant also. Let's yeah. remind. I don't know. She, she didn't know. She didn't know. I really, yeah, I didn't know. I'm sorry, y'all. Yeah, if y'all didn't, if y'all missed the, you know, the couple past episodes, like I didn't find out I was pregnant with my first child until I was six months pregnant. So yeah. like, I was in college. I was partying it up like I didn't know I was having girls night girls night I mean turn and I, I don't know if y'all ever party with me but I be turned so it's not like I'm sipping a glass of wine no I be turned like hopefully I'm not outside peeing somewhere but anyway um <laughs> but no honestly now that I think about it I it was right around the time when I was studying for my board exams for school um and I had to make a promise to God to stop smoking and I told God you know what? Like that, that was the only way I was going to stop smoking because otherwise I was just going to keep smoking. But I told God if he got me through my boards, I wasn't touching weed. It, well, it was, it was because I wanted to pass my boards and because I had an anxiety attack. So after he brought me out my anxiety attack off the weed, this is just another plug. Don't be smoking weed like that, guys. Because <laughs> I thought I was going to die off of it. <laughs> I had a full-blown anxiety. What'd you say? <laughs> Nothing. I just said don't need an edible either. But go ahead. Yeah, yeah, don't do that. Either. No, don't mess with edibles for real. Cause that stuff, you gotta wait till that stuff digests out your system. But anywho, not to sound like a weed kind of sore. Um, I had to I had to reach out to the Lord and bring my little spirituality into me stopping weed. But I guess all to say, I'm thankful that it was that type of drug that I was quote unquote addicted to and not something that could really have me picking my skin off or rotting my teeth out because some people are not fortunate enough to be able to fight those demons. Like that stuff be right. sad. Like I used to judge the people that come in and get the Sudafed, and I still be a little scared of them, you know, why they be over there making any little mess. But to see, like, like I have a, a patient that comes to my pharmacy. Well, she used to come to my pharmacy. She was clearly addicted to Furacet and Gabapentin, which is like, Furacet is a headache medicine, and Gabapentin is a drug that they use for, like, nerve pain, whatever. They love That's that the Gabapentin. They love Gabapentin. They and had to stop giving it to the into the patients in jail, girl. Yes, like Gab, y'all. These people love Gabapentin, and well, this girl loved Gabapentin, and she would go to um, urgent care. She would go to the emergency room, go because she was locked into my pharmacy, like you know, with Medicaid, whatever. She would go to all these different doctors and try to go to the different pharmacies and like pay cash for the Gabapentin, and like the stuff doesn't. It doesn't show up on the little website that we look up controlled substances and stuff. So she would just be so tweaked. And, like, she would fill her gabapentin with us. And I guess be so confused from all the other gabapentin scripts that she filled elsewhere. And, like, literally come back 10 days later after she filled a 30-day supply, like, I need this. Like, I need it. Like, angry, mad. And I'm like, and, the, and like, the chick, like, she's, like, a year or two older than me. I'm like, sis, you are sick like mm-hmm. sick and I'm not saying sick like in a joking way I'm like you're really really ill and that's the saddest part about drug addiction you mm-hmm. know to me you know I have a question Alex um and this is not directed towards you but I've known only like maybe I was kind of on the same bandwagon with Shadi 
at the time where I was like, oh, it's not getting it's ghetto, it's very ghetto. Um, very, you know, very ghetto, gotta get away. Um, at the time, um, this is Chrissy, who I remember trying it the first time and man, it was very life-changing for me because I felt freaking amazing. I don't do that anymore though, guys, because I'm a professional and I have a career and I have children, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, but if you, you know, have a life change and you guys, you know, smoke, nothing's wrong with that. You know, we're, we all change. Anyway, I, I didn't think that people were really addicted to marijuana until I saw it in people that I knew when who would have like almost like mood disorders. They will go from one extreme to the next and it was so scary because I'm like, you was just chilling. And if they haven't smoked in a while, they were on like, rawr. like I was like, oh shit, like get them a blunt ASAP. But I didn't know that that was a thing. Like when people be like, oh no, I have to smoke. And I'm like, no, you don't have to smoke. But then like, you see how they act. Like I'm like complete 180. And I'm like, we was just patty caking and now you about to hurt me. Like what's good? Because yeah. Like, am I the only one who didn't know, like, that was a real thing? I mean, I know, like, after so long, if it's in your system, your body starts to crave it. Same thing, kind of like with nicotine, when people just quit smoking cold turkey and they get sick from it. Like, I've heard people, like, have died from that because their body couldn't handle the lack thereof of the nicotine. But I was like, I didn't know marijuana had the same um, tendencies. And I know it's like with the THC attaching and binding to certain receptors. but that shit just blew me. Like, yeah. I mean, I wasn't on that tip. Like, no, right. I'm not lying. I wasn't on that tip. Um, you know, I just really like to do it. And I couldn't stop yeah. doing it. I really like to do it. But I wasn't flashing out. But I have seen people that I'm close to. Like, yeah, that's what I'm asking. Yeah. Yes, so, I mean, not to, like, put all our business out. Just saying. But, I mean, this is, like, drug addiction is real. And drug, not, not even yeah. drug addiction, but drug drug use is real. Yeah. You know, it is real and it affects like, you know, it affects people, you know, but I mean, I guess kind of going back to the incarceration too, like Shadi and I'll direct this to you, like has your dad's incarceration, like has it changed your opinion on like social justice and like law enforcement and like, you know what I'm saying? Like, do you feel like, yeah, do you feel like you have like a, another view on like. I do. I do because I feel like. Until you have actually stepped foot in a jail and see what you see. And, you know, at the end of the day, people think everybody in jail is just a killer or someone that's bad. When actually, I can probably say, I've probably put myself in situations I could, I could be sitting in jail for. You know what I'm saying? Does that mean that I'm just a horrible person and I shouldn't be let back into society or whatever the case is? Absolutely not. But seeing how, A, these inmates are treated, if they're already, you know, serving their time and doing what they have to do and they're in prison, why do they have to be treated like complete shit, you know, while they're in there? And given, uh, and given horrible care, these horrible circumstances, all of that, even when I go to visit my father, they treat people like me. You know, and I come in there well-dressed and all of that. Not overly dressed, but you know what I'm saying? I look like I'm a respectable uh, American citizen. And they sit up, and I have, I've had to correct several people. You need to calm down. I'm not one of these inmates. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But that just, that's how people with power, that's what they do when they feel like they have some power. And so just mm-hmm. seeing that, hearing the things that my father has experienced, you know, he's developed a mental condition. He's developed, like, schizophrenia since... Uh, he's been in there just because he's been treated so horribly beaten on and all types of things like that. You know, mm-hmm. it's, cre- it's created um, several issues that for me with when it comes to uh, the justice system. And then just when you look at that versus why he's in there, my father in, in Texas has laws that are just outrageous. He's one of those people that are victims of the three strike rule. You know, he was young, he was a knucklehead. And because he was at the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong people. Now he's in jail with a 75-year sentence. And he can't even get out parole until he serves half that time. So my father has to serve 32 and a half years before he can even be considered for parole, which is absolutely asinine. So Yeah, so when I hear that and I hear about the other people that he, you know, has come in contact with over the years, 
the horrible treatment that he's endured while he's been in there, the lack of medication, they forget to give his med or don't, they refuse his medication. My father has been in solitary confinement for like literally like eight, nine months at one time. And he's developed these, these mental conditions because of what they're doing to him. I have a huge problem with um, the justice system. And then when you look at what we're dealing with now in this day and age, it's like, Y'all are creating these problems, but nobody's doing anything to fix it. You know, even yeah. when you have people, if he was able to get out, how are we going to put him back into society? You know what I'm saying? Like, Courtney, when you discussed uh, our cousin who, you know, was able to come out, that was that was one of the probably, not, there's not too many success stories like that. Right. Because most of the time, especially when they've been in there and served X amount of years, you're talking about 20, 30 years, what are they supposed to do when they come out? Because they don't have anywhere to stay. And they have time can't even get out unless they have somewhere to stay. Most of the time, family has forgotten about them. They don't want to be bothered with them. You know, nobody's advocating for them. There's just nowhere for them to go. There's no job that they can get. They can't vote. They can't do anything. So I am absolutely, I feel like our whole justice system needs to be torn down and rebuilt because it wasn't built for us at all. Yeah, I agree. Because I have, I have a cousin. I have a cousin that's been in jail since I was uh, like 13 years old. He was my favorite cousin. He's still in jail. And I think that he's getting out next year. But he he did like he did, it wasn't drug related or anything. He was just a kid. Like he was he was he was he wasn't even 14 years old. when He went to jail. But, you know, once you turn 17, they, they put you into the big prisons, you know. And so it's like. <laughs> he he's in jail. Like I said, he got locked up when we were kids. You know, we weren't even teenagers yet, and he's still in jail. And when he comes out, you know, I can only pray that everything, you know, will be okay. Because like Shadé said, sometimes when you're in there for so long, you become institutionalized. And I've seen people they'll come out after like twenty, thirty years, and they'll do stuff to go back in because that's their comfort zone. And and like and like Shadé said, sometimes they don't have family that's out here. So they come out here they're by themselves. And the way the system's set up, like, sometimes, like, they have to do a program. They can do a trade while they're in jail, you know, and they might get a job. But, like, I, I'm glad Atlanta mayor, she has, like, a lot of programs for, like, felons, like, convicted felons or whatever to get jobs. But a lot of states and cities not doing it. And it's mm-hmm. like, people really, they are, they really reform. People really become reformed after being in prison. And it's just sad how a lot of times they don't get that second chance. Like, they serve the time for the crime to get them a chance. Like, that's one mm-hmm. thing society needs to work on. Yeah. I mean, definitely. And then, like, the the job opportunities aren't there. The labels stick with them. I mean, you know, and ultimately, it affects their well-being. And then, like, I can't help but to think about those, like, with kids. You know, like, you know, these people that are locked away for these long amounts of times and usually and sometimes in a black community, you know, for a longer amount of time than like their non-black counterparts for stupid shit. You know, these kids have to deal with that. You know, like, Cole, did your uncle have kids? The one that was in Like, did he have kids? Like, did it affect them? Yeah, you know? he had kids. Well, he he has kids. Um. He has uh, two daughters and a son. And then he also, uh, from a previous marriage, had, you know, two bonus, you know, sons or your stepkids or however you want to use the uh, the term. And they they were severely, you know, affected by him, you know, with the, the drug abuse. I can say, like, when he came to live with us, my mom reached out to, you know, their mothers and was like, he's here if y'all want to, like, bring the children to see him or something like that. But it's like, even though my mom was trying to reach out and make that connection so he could have that connection with his kids, it's like, if he ain't ready, then you're not, do- you know, you, you can't do that. And then I'm, you know, I was also, I put up the argument. I'm like, did you, do you really want to bring his kids around him in this state? You know, um, it's almost like he just should kind of stay away until he can get himself together. Because I don't know if that would damage them more with him just being away or with him trying to be around and they actively see him, you know, uh, under the influence and you know things like that, so it would it's it's kind of tricky, and I guess like every situation would be different depending on what you're dealing with at that particular time. Like if he was you know on like you know on his way to being sober or something like that, but like when you're still in the thick of it, I really don't think that you know, the the kids suffer they suffer the worst, you know. And he had you know, daughters and sons. Good good thing like all his his children 
did really well for themselves. Like all of his children, you know, you know, they were really well. One of his daughters went off to like the military. She was in the Navy, got married, you know, things like that. And um, his son is like a personal trainer, does fitness and, you, you know, so they, they came out okay, you know, thanks to like the other support systems they had around them and, you know, their moms and, because he really took a a turn for the worse, you know, and it was a a long period of time, especially like in that time when his son was like growing up and being a teenager where he, you know, needed his dad the most, you know, it was like, I mean, his daughter's too. So it's just, it, it was a sticky situation. Like I say, it's very, it's a sensitive subject and it's different from person to person. Cause I mean, my best friend went through the same thing, you know, Oh, uh, with her daddy being, you know, addicted to drugs. And, you know, I remember when her daddy died, she called me and she was like, Courtney, you know, he died or whatever. Me and her was talking. I was asking, you know, are you okay? Like, or how how you feeling? You need me to come over, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then I, I made the statement. I was like, it's almost like he had, he was already dead. Now it's just physical that he's mm-hmm. gone, you know, because yeah. he hadn't been there for so long. And she was like, Courtney, I didn't know how to word it. She was like, but you just put it perfectly. Like, he's always been, like, quote, unquote, dead. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's never been around. He never make, you know, any um things. And, you know, granted, like, my, my best friend, you know, and her sister have done amazing things that, you know, he was never a part of or never came to, never showed up for, and things like that. So it was like, it's, Every situation is, you know, you have to handle it like how, however that family sees fit, you know? So yeah. it's just, it's crazy. It was just, I mean, that's a big point. Like I could see, like I thankfully never really had to deal with, you know, real drug abuse and like incarceration, like in my immediate family. Mm-hmm. But like, I can only imagine like that numbing thing. Yeah. Like that's how, yeah, I can only imagine that being one of the biggest like, you know, attributes of someone who's like directly affected by something like that for her to, for her dad to physically die and her just to be like, I mean, it was like, he was gone anyway. Anyway, That's, yeah. a, that's a heavy statement. Like, yeah. That's heavy. Mm-hmm. And you know what, just to, because I mean, like I said, I didn't deal, I have dealt with the whole drug aspect part, but I have dealt with a father who has been pretty much incarcerated the majority of my life because even prior to these 22, 23 years that he's been in, you know, he was in and out of jail when I was younger. I've always had a relationship with my dad. I've always, I always knew who he was. And whenever I was around him, it was nothing but good times. And, you know, so I have great memories. However, um, I, I don't think that when, when people see me and they find out like, oh, your dad's been in jail that long, they don't expect someone like me to have a father that's in prison. So, especially for that long. So, you know, I feel like it doesn't, it's not like each child or each situation, like you said, Courtney, it's different because I could have let that kind of, kind of guide how I lived my life or just, you know, went down on a deep end because I didn't have a dad. And I do think that, I think, and I said this on a couple of episodes ago, I didn't realize that I might've been, um, bottling some things in because now I do think that not having my actual father present in my life has had some type of effect on me and just kind of how I deal with men or how I am because I was raised by a bunch of, you know, uh, independent women. So it's forced me and created this sense of independence and all that. I think just not having my dad around, I had a lot to do with that. But I do think that I turned out the way that I did as far as, you know, not saying I'm perfect or anything out here because I'm not by far, but I went on to college. I made, you know, I made a career, made a name for myself and, you know, have a great career, all of these things. And I could have let the situation with my father, you know, kind of put a halt to that because I feel like sometimes that happens. But like you said, when you have a support system, that is kind of what allows you to not fall into that habit. Um, I had a, a grandmother, of, well, shoot, a, a couple of grandmas, you know what I'm saying? I, aunties, my mom, everybody became, it was like the whole, it takes a village situation. So I never was one of those people. I didn't grow up in a, with a harsh life. I pretty much got what I wanted. I was in all kinds of activities and I never skipped a beat. So I never essentially felt like I was missing out on having my father there. But I do feel like now as an adult, as a woman, um, that I'm realizing some of the negative things that I've done because I've held things in or whatnot. 
But um, I think I say all that to say is like, you can't let your situation determine your future. Uh, just because you come from or have dealt with, you know, someone that has drug addictions or, you know, an absentee parent that's incarcerated or whatever, you know, use that as your motivation instead of like just make pining on it and making that an excuse of how you have to live your life. Question, Shadi. And mm-hmm. I'm going to ask you this because you have the perspective on, on both of these. So because your father was incarcerated, you know, most of your life and your mom, do you feel like your mom had to or compensate for you because your dad wasn't there? And the second question is, um, which your, young, your younger siblings that your mom was with a partner with actually raised, raising, you know, those kids. Did you see a difference in the way she parented like you versus, you know, her by herself with your dad gone versus the kids with, I mean, her with the father present. Do you think it was a, did you, did you see her as, did she mother different for y'all? Okay. So to answer the first question, I definitely think that my mom overcompensated um, and that's because like, I'm the oldest of five and my mom was young when she had me. So she had me. And then my other, my, one of my brothers, who's a couple of years younger than me, we both have separate fathers. And then the three younger siblings, they're all by my stepfather. Okay. So my brother that's right up under me, his father was present. So I'm the only one out of five children whose father wasn't present, wasn't present and whose father is, you know, in this type of situation, you know? So my mom definitely did whatever, gave me whatever. And then my grandmother and my aunts and whoever else in my family did jump in. And it was like an all hands on deck type of situation. And that's why I never was affected by my father not being there. Because I'm like, well, I'm getting everything. You know, when you're a kid, you don't really think about things like that. So it didn't bother me. I never had a moment. I don't ever recall having a moment as a child or a teenager, even early college where I was like, dang, my dad ain't around to see this. Not even graduations or anything. I don't ever remember being affected, but I think, like I said, in I think uh, a couple of episodes ago, I didn't realize that I was, it was, I was dealing with something until my ex-boyfriend went on this like Twitter rant and was like, don't date daddyless daughters. And I was like, dang, daddyless daughter, you know? And that just started making me think like, dang, am I doing, do I have toxic behaviors? Do I, am I, you know, exhibiting some type of like some type of characteristics that are making people think that I have an issue with men or whatever. So that's when I kind of started doing some introspection and I started feeling away. But so that's to answer that question. Yeah, it was, it was an all hands on deck situation. So, but I definitely do think that my mom parented my younger siblings different because she did have somebody there. So A, she was older. She was in her thirties when she had my younger set of siblings. So when you're 18 and you're going through college and you're raising children by yourself, you know, you allow certain things and there's a lot of freedoms there with, which also my stepdad, which is Courtney's brother, (laughs) my (laughs) stepdad, he's not that much. He's only nine years older than me. So even when he came into the picture, you know, I think that I do know that he didn't really agree with some of the things that my mom allowed me to do. But my mom had her own reason for doing the things that she she wanted me not to follow in the same path. So she made sure that she wasn't going to be super strict or things like that. So when you have a partner now and they've seen how you've raised, even though I came out and I did what I was supposed to do, went to college, A, B, and C, you know, whatever. I did all of that stuff. He didn't agree with what the certain, certain things that my mom allowed me to have, like boyfriends and coming over the house and, you know, just no curfew and things like that. She had to consider her partner at this point. So there were certain things that she placed on the, the younger set of kids that she, that I'm looking like, oh Lord, I'm so happy that wasn't me, you know, but they definitely do parent. And I do see, even with my stepfather being in my life, he did like, he, he really, even though he was only nine years older than me, he filled a lot of like voids that I did have. And that's probably also why I didn't have as big of a, it, it, my father not being present wasn't as big of a hit or a blow because I did have a male figure there. Even though I didn't look at him like dad, it was still a male figure, you know? But I do see how my younger siblings are raised and I'm happy that they, that they do have both parents because I can only imagine, you know, if they didn't, I wouldn't want them to go through what I kind of went through even though I wasn't affected, it just, it could, it could end bad, but each child is different. I'm just thankful that I kind of had that, 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 uh, 
that uh, support system because it, I could have ended out totally different, you know? Yeah. And that's, those are the kids that I really think about. Like, I'm so thankful you had the support system too, you know, and that you were able to analyze later in life, you know, maybe some things that might've affected you, but it didn't completely, you know, negatively deter your life off of its course, you know? But I, I guess I'm, I, I have a, a soft spot for those kids that may not have that support system. Mm-hmm. You know, they're with that single mom, you know, their dad may be incarcerated and the drugs, the, the mom may be on drugs. Or both parents are on drugs. Or both parents are incarcerated and they're in the foster homes. And, you know, yeah. it, it sucks because those types of children, they have to rely more on our government, yeah. you know, which is not set up for them. You know, and those are the kids that I just really think about when, you know, the government is cutting funding for mental health and the, the prison system is inundated with black men and women, you know, who shouldn't be there and the system is set up for them to fail when they get out, yeah. you know? So I guess that's, that's kind of those, those kids that I'm just kind of, you know, just in a dark place for, I mean, I know God has them and, you know, at the end of the day, they'll turn out the way, you know, they, they're supposed to, but that support system is something that all kids don't have. And it really sucks that they don't, you know, a huge difference. And what you said just was, it was major. Like, the whole, like the, the justice system, how it's set up, it's set up for us to fail. So once you enter that system, you're not, the, the inmate isn't the only person that's affected. His children are affected. How their futures, you know, what their futures are, what their destiny, like all of that is altered because, you know, it all now that, that kid is only relying on one parent and that parent may not have the money or what, you know, end up in welfare, housing, and all of these things that contribute to the success of this child. So it's, it really is unfortunate and sad. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Chris. No, I was just saying, it just made me think, Alex, when you said like, you just think about the kids. I remember growing up, one of my neighbors, um, one of her kids was on drugs heavily. And of course she took the, the, you know, her grandchild, she took her, but I remember, I think I had to be maybe like 14 or 15 and I didn't see her. And she was like, I'm tired. I'm getting older. She was like, I don't have it. She was like, they found her a family. And I was just kind of like, wait, 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 wait. You're going to let her go live with this other family. She was like, it's frustrating because, you know, the mom was in jail. Her son was in jail. And it was kind of like a back and forth situation where one would get out and then go back. And she had the, the grandchild. And I never forget. She was just like, I don't have it to give anymore. And it was one of those situations where, you know how you grow up and you remember somebody and you're like, damn, I, I always wonder what happened to them and like, are they okay? I mean, she's a very pretty girl. And you can tell like she'd been exposed to stuff because she was almost, um, we were very young, but she was hypersexualized as a young girl. And I was just like, oh my gosh, like, you know, but you knew growing up, well, being older and an older adult, you know now those tendencies are because something happened to her. You know, and I just remember like, you know, we will always wonder why the conversation will go there. And I'm like, is she watching pay-per-view? Like, uh, uh, Showtime, what's going on? Because I'm like, BT Uncut, what's going on? Seriously, <laughs> we would always kind of like have, like she would always try to bring the conversation there. And we were still playing with like Aladdin and Jasmine dolls. You know, we were like, mm. And she was like, I don't want to play with dolls. I want to do this. And we would be like, uh-uh. But seriously, like, you know, and this is not a funny thing, but Again, like I said, I just remember like that one summer, like I was looking forward to like, you know, we were older talking, playing with her. And she was, her grandmother was like, I, I couldn't do it anymore. She was like, I'm, I'm physically tired. She was like, they're back, they're in and out of jail. And she was like, I don't have it to keep up with her. And she was like, she's going down the same path. And this lady was very sweet. And like Shade said, um, when her mom overcompensated, but it wasn't enough, you know, cause she still had this, in her to do what she wanted and I just it made me think about her when you say like you know that's where my soft spot is and it's like damn like I felt that because I'm like I wonder what happened to her like I pray she's okay and I pray she turned out just fine and she was going through a phase you know but it's just very sad that your family will turn your back not because they don't want to be there but because they're tired you know and again like Shade said and you said the system is designed for us to fail so why didn't anybody step in these two young people who had this child and, and get them the necessary help instead of constantly putting them back in jail? And it wasn't even like serious stuff. Like it really wasn't like what, getting older, like knowing that now. And I'm like, you could have easily 
you know, got them therapy or, or sent them to juvie at the time, but you couldn't wait for them to get out of juvie and send them to real prison where they're exposed to different stuff. And now, like Shade said, you have mental illness on the table, things like that. It's just, I don't know. It just, and I, about her. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, I misspoke earlier because, you know, I just was looking over my notes, but it was the NAACP that has made that statistic about um, or stated that statistic about the black people like being uh, 12% of like the drug abusers and 30 right. something percent of the. But another thing that they were talking about was that black people are actually more likely to seek help like for drug addiction, but are less likely to have positive outcomes. So like it just sucks that, you know, I'm I'm wondering why that's the case, you know, and I'm wondering if it is it because of the system, you know, once they get this help for drugs, you know, you know, drug help or whatever the case may be, you know, they go out in the in society and they're still looked at as a druggie, you know, like why is it that these positive outcomes aren't as prevalent in our community as they are, and maybe like a non-black, you know, a non-black person or in the non-black community, you know. Because they want us to keep this label. They want us to keep that statistic going, this connotation that they have on our community. Because that's what forms these opinions that all these crazy people like the crazy Karens and all these, you know, Trump supporters and all these people that you see that you're trying to figure out like why are, it's almost cultish. It's almost cult-like the way that they think and the things that they say. It's because the, the, the connotations that we have on us, we have not been able to get rid of those. So that's what keeps perpetuating these people to think these asinine, like this crazy off the wall. Some of the stuff I hear people say, and I, you know, and I hate to point it out and, and make it seem like it's a color thing, but it is. Some of the stuff that I hear white people say about black people, it absolutely makes no sense. And I personally, as a black woman, don't know anybody that is like these people that they're talking about. Not personally. Maybe you've seen things on, you know, Oh, uh, what, what's that that uh, Instagram page where they be recording people fighting and all of that? Maybe on page oh, uh, World Star. World Star. I don't know these people personally, but I'm like, okay, they got some crazy black folks out there, but they got some crazy everything's out there. Why are we the only ones that get these labels attached to us for so long? You know, mm-hmm. so that's really that's just kind of why that's kind of why I think that we get treated different when it comes to getting help because they don't think that we deserve it. Or they don't think that we're capable of, you know, actually coming out and doing right. They want us, they want to keep us in that kind of negative mindset. So that's just kind of like my take on it. Yeah. And that's why it's just so important to really just, you know, focus on mental health. Like, you know, incarceration isn't necessarily so much about mental health, but drug abuse is. I mean, like to me, they're directly linked, you know, and it does suck that the system and the, you know, our judicial system and all that is basically set up for these people to not, you know, have prominent places in society. And, you know, I guess it just, I mean, the the whole, there's really no conclusion to this topic. No, it's really just analyzing how much it does suck that these two factors influence our community so heavily, heavily. And a lot of our families are not able to shake back from it. Just like Chrissy touched on, sometimes it's genetic almost, you know. Yeah. A you know, like a hypersexualized little girl because she's seen nothing but drug abuse or pimped out to get drugs. You know, or my, you know, you you just never know what these people are subject to, and you know, it's it's almost like a never-ending cycle almost for those that are affected. Yeah, and the sad part is that it was planted in our neighborhoods. You know, it's like we didn't ask for none of this. Drugs are planted in black neighborhoods years ago. And it's like, like the weapons, drugs, the the prison system, all this stuff. It's like, like we didn't ask for any of this, you know. And it's like they it's been set up systematically from the beginning of times, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's just really, really sad. And now it's like to the point of no return. But it's like they have a lot of programs out there, thank God. But it's like it's so bad with the drugs. It's like. I don't know, it's just like as a people, like we just didn't ever have a chance. You know, it's like we got to fight so much just to be on the same level as certain people. Like from like, I know so many people who like one parent's on drugs, one parent's in jail, the streets raised them, you know, and it's like, then they, they're not, they don't know anything about being a parent. So they can't be a parent to their kids. And it's like, it's just like a, a domino effect. And it's just really, really sad. It's, it's it's not all black. It's like it's just it's not fair 
how the drugs are planted in the neighborhoods and the prison system is all about money. So many people have, have, have are investing in this prison system that it's ridiculous. If mm-hmm. people only knew the truth behind this prison system and how much money is involved, like it's really, really sad. And it's just like it just feel like we just we just never had a chance. Yeah. And it, I'm just tired of it. It's like when yeah. will it end? Yeah. And and it sucks because it's almost like it's something that we're not, you know, I don't see a positive end for it anytime soon but I'm not a hopeless person either so Mm -hmm. I know if you know I I know there can be change made some kind of way it's just you know freaking out when and then like I mean just until then I mean all we can do is just continue to support each other you know support that man that's you know sitting on the corner bumming around you know that may be strung out on drugs don't judge him pray for him you know what I'm saying give him a word of encouragement support that man you know, that's fresh out of jail and down on his luck because he can't get a job. Not necessarily support him by giving him $500, but I mean, you know, some people just need mental encouragement, you know, to deal with something that we don't really see, um, you know, a foreseeable change in, you know? So, yeah. And Shadi, yeah. I really, Shadi, like I really topped my hat off to you because like yeah. I didn't know to a couple of years ago that your dad been in jail all this time. You have never known, like your mom, she did amazing. Your support system is amazing. And you're just amazing because you could have turned out so different, you know, but you, you're not letting that allow you, you know, a lot of people use that as an excuse. Like, you know, this is why I'm the way I am. It's made you a strong woman, you know, and you fight for your dad on the other side of those walls. Like you're fighting for him. And I just commend you for that. And I really top my head off to you for that. Thank you. That means you're in tears. Yeah, yeah. you know, and you know, her support system has always been amazing. Kim has always been a bomb mother. Like, even though she was so young and all this was going on, like, you you wouldn't have known. You wouldn't have known that she was going through what she was going through at, you know, at the time. She was always there for Sade. Sade was always in extracurricular, you know, extracurricular activities. Like, she never lacked. Shout out to Corey for, you know, coming in, only being nine years, you know, or the taking on two kids and trying to, you know, be a positive male role model to make you feel like you're not lacking. Everybody who was there to help cultivate the woman that you are today in absence of your father. And not, you know, not bashing him, you know, he's just in a bad situation. And unfortunately, he he can't be here with you. But, you know, shout out to Pops up and there. And, you know, I want him to keep his head up too. And hopefully if in 10 years, he'd be able to get out and see what what the system is looking like and see what we can do from there. But you've always had a, a great support system. And I, I respect everybody who was there for you, who put forth the energy because they didn't have to, you know, but they did. Yeah. And you, you and that just makes really it, well. Oh, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, Courtney. And yeah, Shadi, I'm, 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 I'm hopping on that train too. You're amazing. You're an amazing yeah. person. And you didn't she let is. this break you down. And I mean, just to anybody listening, Shadi, just like, I mean, if you want to listen to this podcast, you probably wouldn't have known this part of her life at all. Yeah. Um, but it also just, you know, she was lucky enough to have her family as that support system. But guys, you know, some children are walking around that don't have that support system. And it is our moral responsibility to be there for the children, to be there for the children who have parents that are locked up or sick off drugs or whatever. We're morally responsible for that, especially in a black community. Yeah, you know, right. if you, you can have a bajillion more shades if we all stop judging the next man and be there for the kids that are left behind, period. You know, so yeah, yeah, cheers to Shadi and cheers for you being transparent for everybody on there. Yeah, I'll go ahead and jump on the train too because Monday is bad, okay? You would have never known. That's why, see, God, I'm so sorry. I don't want to holy roll us to that, but girl, that is purpose. That's why you never know, Shadi, your desire to be lawyer be in real life might be your purpose to fight for your dad and, and get him free before that time. You never know. You know what I mean? That is, I don't know. I'm sorry. That guy just don't know. So, but I, I mean, I always thought you were the shit. So again, like I said, I didn't know till maybe a couple years after we had gotten so close. And I was like, what? Because that's not what you show. You know what I'm saying? Like you're so strong and you know, you, you handle your business and been shouting out Kim since I found out how young your mom was when she had you and just the com- the first conversation that she and I had, like she just really put something in me as a younger mom. And I, and I thank her for that. And I told you that I was like, she just let me know there's nothing that I couldn't do. 
she was like, who cares? I remember she was like, who cares if you had a baby in high school? She was like, you better show that ass. And she just bust out laughing after. I was like, you're right. I'm going to do that. But, mm-hmm. you know, I'm just, I'm proud of you. Your support system freaking rocks, period. And, you know, you, you're an advocate for, for people going through this and who can relate to this. Because yeah, she and took names. Thank you all so much. Like, I'm real. Really, y'all, they're watching me wipe my tears, y'all. I'm really, really <laughs> emotional for me. But um, all that's to say, you know, no matter what your upbringing is or what happens in your past, like I said it before, you can't let it or you shouldn't let it dictate your future because, you know, you can still come from the ground or the bottom. And I, I didn't come from that, but I do know how it feels to not have both parents and just to not live the normal, you know, status quo life. So keep going, keep pushing. Don't let, you know, your shortcomings or what doesn't seem or appear normal. Don't let that hold you back. Whether it's a, whether it's a um, incarcerated parent or someone in your family that's a drug abuser, it doesn't have to be, that doesn't have to be your end story. So thank y'all. And I love each and every one of y'all. I think I tell y'all I love y'all on every episode. Yes. And we love you too. And you know what? We can end on that note. We don't, right. we don't need to say anything else. We ending on that note. We speak in right. positivity. You that's can right. be a shuddy, period. period. So with that note, look, cue the music and follow <laughs> us on Facebook and Instagram, sis. <laughs> All right. Bye. 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 Bye.